You know, it's been said that uh, baseball was on the mind of God when he opened the Bible with the words, in the beginning. Oh, come on. You can groan better than that. Yeah, 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 yeah. I know, I know, I know, I know. But, you know, I can't help but think that uh, some who are heading to uh, St. Louis next Monday may actually feel that's true. And uh, I did read in the paper this week that baseball is a little older than we thought. Uh, A plaque in uh, Cooperstown states that Alexander Cartwright became the father of baseball in 1860. But it's been recently discovered that the rules for the game were written by Doc Adams, president of the New York Knickerbockers in 1857. And a handwritten copy of the Laws of Baseball was put up for auction on Wednesday. At last count, it was up to $148,000. So if you really want the rules, you can get the original. Uh, Well, how's that for athletics from your preacher, huh? Yeah, 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 yeah. Well, obviously, even though baseball is a little older than we thought, uh, no one actually played baseball in Jesus' day. However, the Jewish leaders did play hardball with Jesus during the last week of his life on earth. Through confrontation, parables, and a powerful demonstration, withering and unfruitful fig tree, Jesus had exposed them as leaders who wouldn't take a stand, sons who lied to their father, workers who broke their contract, and guests who who scorned the king's invitation. They responded by heading for the dugout and making plans to play hardball with Jesus, confident They could win. But as we will see, they simply struck out. Let's take a look at strike one. Matthew 22, verses 15 through 22. Then the Pharisees went and counseled together how they might trap him in what he said. And they sent their disciples to him along with the Herodians, saying, Teacher, We know that you are truthful and teach the way of God in truth and defer to no one, for you're not partial to any. Tell us, therefore, what do you think? Is it lawful to give a poll tax to Caesar or not? But Jesus perceived their malice and said, Why are you testing me, you hypocrites? Show me the coin used for the poll tax. And he brought him a denarius. And he said to them, Whose likeness and inscription is this? They said to him, Caesar's. Then he said to them, Then render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's, and to God the things that are God's. And hearing this, they marveled. And leaving him, they went away. You know, when the chief priests and Pharisees figured out that Jesus was talking about them in the parables, they sought to seize him, but they were afraid of the multitudes. So they got together and came up with a plan that they were sure would either turn the multitudes against him or get him in big trouble with the Roman authorities. They would publicly ask him a question to which there could be no good answer. Like the question Lincoln asked the prosecutor, who kept insisting on yes or no answers to his questions. Lincoln said, yes or no, did you stop beating your wife? Think about that a minute. If he said yes, he'd be saying what? That he had beaten her. If he said no, he'd be saying what? That he was still beating her. You know, either way, 
he would be condemning himself. And the Pharisees thought they had come up with the same kind of question for Jesus. So they sent some of their disciples along with some Herodians to Jesus. Now, the fact that the Pharisees and the Herodians were together on this shows just how desperately they wanted to get rid of Jesus because they were political enemies. Herodians supported the house of Herod and, in a roundabout way, the Romans because without Roman support, the house of Herod would crumble. The Pharisees, on the other hand, wanted no authority over the Jewish nation. But their hatred and fear of Jesus was stronger than their political differences. So they joined forces to entrap him. They came to him saying, Teacher, we know that you are truthful and teach the way of God in truth and defer to no one. For you're not partial to any. Tell us, therefore, what do you think? Is it lawful to give a poll tax to Caesar or not? Their praise was dripping with sarcasm. But their question was brilliant. Is it lawful? Is it permissible to give a poll tax to Caesar or not? Now, the poll tax was a special head tax that Caesar had placed on the Jews, and they hated it. Every year, it was a reminder that they were an enslaved people. No Jew thought they should have to pay it. But to say so publicly would be considered insurrection. They thought they had him. If he said, yes, the tax should be paid, The people would turn against him, and they could arrest him without fear of reprisal. If he said, no, it shouldn't be paid, they'd report him to the governor, and he would arrest him. It was a win-win for them, and a lose-lose for Jesus. Or so they thought. Until he said, show me the coin used for the poll tax. When they brought him one, he asked, Whose likeness and inscription is this? When they said, Caesar's, he said, Render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's, and to God the things that are God's. Who could argue with that? They marveled and walked away. Strike one. Let's go on to strike two. On that same day, some Sadducees, who say there is no resurrection, came to him and questioned him, saying, Teacher, Moses said if a man dies having no children, his brother as next of kin shall marry his wife and raise up an offspring to his brother. Now, There were seven brothers with us, and the first married and died, and having no offspring, left his wife to his brother. So also the second and the third, down to the seventh, and last of all, the woman died. In the resurrection, therefore, whose wife of the seven shall she be? For they all had her. But Jesus answered and said to them, You are mistaken, not understanding the scriptures or the power of God. For in the resurrection, they neither marry nor are given in marriage, but are like angels in heaven. But regarding the resurrection of the dead, have you not read that which was spoken to you by God, saying, I am the God of Abraham and the God of Isaac and the God of Jacob? He is not the God of the dead, but of the living. And when the multitudes heard this, they were astonished at his teaching.
The Pharisees had failed, so now it was the Sadducees' turn. And the Sadducees, you'll recall, didn't believe in the resurrection, and that is why they were sad you see. Okay. Anyway, they came up to Jesus and gave him their best shot. They created a fictitious scenario that they would, were sure would show him not only to be theologically inept, but would also show the Pharisees' position on the resurrection to be ludicrous. And the Mosaic Law was a provision that has come to be known as the Law of Leveret Marriage. Now, it has nothing to do with the tribe of Levi. It comes from the Latin levir, which means husband's brother. It was a law that said if a man died without having children, his brother was to marry the widow and raise up children in his brother's name. It was a law designed to assure that property wouldn't be lost due to the lack of legal heirs. The book of Ruth provides us with our only illustration of its use, and there the closest relative declined to marry the widow. Anyway, the Sadducees postulated that a woman had outlived seven husbands and then asked the question, in the resurrection, whose wife shall she be? It wasn't a political question like the first one but a theological question intended to embarrass Jesus. And it was very controversial because it dealt with an obsolete law, with a possible polygamous element, and the resurrection of the dead. Well, Jesus answered the first by clearing up a major misconception about life after death. They had assumed, if there was life after death, that it would be a continuation of this life and that interpersonal relationships would remain the same for all eternity. But Jesus said, no. Things will be different in heaven. Contrary to the romantic notion that a couple will be together Forever, marriage is only for this life. Jesus made it clear that in the resurrection, no one will be married. Now, that used to bother Marilyn, but she's gotten over it. (laughs) I'm sure it has nothing to do with being rid of me. (laughs) She simply realizes that the love we share will no longer have to be exclusive. The oneness and intimacy found between two people on earth in marriage will be shared by all in heaven. And obviously, there will be no need to reproduce because no one will die. And in that regard, Jesus said we will be like the angels. Now, notice he did not say we would become angels. Angels are spiritual beings created specifically by God as angels. We never become angels. But we will share some characteristics with them. One being that sexual distinctions will be gone and sexual functions no longer needed. Now, for those who might be disappointed to hear that, let me assure you that the joys of heaven will far outweigh the physical pleasures a couple might enjoy on earth. And obviously, the promised Muslim reward that incites men to blow themselves up is a demonic Delusion. Not only did Jesus 
clear up a fundamental misunderstanding about the nature of eternal life. He also did something the Pharisees had never been able to do. Since the Sadducees only accepted the first five books of the Old Testament, the Pentateuch, as being authoritative, the Pharisees had never been able to prove to them that there was even a resurrection from the dead. Jesus proved it, however, by quoting something they all knew but never thought through. When God said to Moses, I am the God of Abraham and the God of Isaac and the God of Jacob, all three had long been dead. But God spoke it in the present tense, indicating that he was still their God. And since he's not the God of the dead, but of the living, that meant they were alive with him when he spoke those words to Moses. When the multitude heard this, they were astonished at his teaching. Strike two. Let's go on. But when the Pharisees heard that he had put the Sadducees to silence, they gathered themselves together, and one of them, a lawyer, asked him a question, testing him. Teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? And he said to them, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the great and foremost commandment. The second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend the whole law and the prophets. Mark indicates that this lawyer was almost converted by Jesus' answer. Whether he came in sincerity or not, we can't be sure, but he did come with the ultimate question. Scribes had determined that there were 613 commandments in the Scriptures. 248 affirmative precepts and 365 negative ones, a prohibition for every day of the year. They argued long and hard over which ones were heavy, demanding the death penalty, and which ones were light. They even debated over which of the Ten Commandments was the greatest. Jesus' answer was bound to do nothing but add fuel to the fire, or so they thought. But he answered brilliantly. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. This is the greatest and foremost commandment. The second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend the whole law and the prophets. If you love God with all your heart, soul, and mind, and your neighbor as yourself, you don't need 613 commandments. You don't even need 10. Who could argue with that? Strike three. Now it's Jesus' turn. Now, while the Pharisees were gathered together, Jesus asked them a question, saying, What do you think about the Christ? Whose son is he? They said to him, The son of David. He said to them, Then how does David in the Spirit call him Lord, saying, The Lord said to my Lord, Sit at my right hand until I put thine enemies beneath thy feet. If David then calls him Lord, how is he his son? And 
no one was able to answer him a word, nor did anyone dare from that day on to ask him another question. Strike three. And they're out. Jesus masterfully answered their questions and then proceeded to ask them one. And the question he asked forced them to acknowledge that their concept of the Messiah was faulty. When he asked them whose son the Christ, the Messiah, is, they answered as every Jew would answer, the son of David. Everyone knew that the Messiah would be the son of David, the promised heir to David's throne. But when he went on to ask them how David could refer to him as yet unborn son, as my Lord, as he did in Psalm 110, when referring to the Messiah, they were stumped. had no idea how that could work. Jesus in raising that question, made it clear that the Messiah was more than a physical son of David, more than a political king who would someday reign. He was the son of God who had been sitting at God's right hand even as David spoke. He would one day come to earth through David's line to fulfill his role as Messiah. But he would be far more than the son of David. And indeed, Jesus was not simply the son of David. He was, as revealed in Revelation 22:16, both the root and the offspring of David. He came both before and after David. Jesus had existed in heaven at the right hand of God before coming to earth as the promised Messiah and Savior. This is something most of the Pharisees would never come to understand. They didn't even want to think about it. So they decided to back off. They had played hardball with Jesus and lost. We, too, will lose if we try to play hardball with Jesus. He welcomes honest questions. Never be afraid to express your doubts or to go to him and his word for answer. But he knows when we are testing him and challenging his authority. And obviously any man is a fool to challenge the Son of God. Whenever you find your faith being challenged by an unbelieving world or an unbelieving authority figure, Remember what happened to the Pharisees and Herodians and Sadducees and lawyers when they tried to play hardball with Jesus. Remember and surrender to his lordship or you will lose the stand.